and this is the story that I'm going to be telling one day about how I healed and I built this company. And I was like, this is all bullshit, actually. Like, you're, you're joking yourself. You're lying to yourself. This is serious, and maybe you won't survive this. everyone and welcome back to Simply Ayurveda, a place where we learn how to apply this ancient wisdom into our everyday lives. I am your host, Julia, and today I am so excited to be welcoming our first guest on the podcast. Today we will be sitting down with Simran Kapoor. Simran is a published clinical researcher, former advisory board member for the public health department, clinical manager for UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital, and is a former TFA special education teacher. Simran is also the owner and founder of the Ayurvedic immunity brand, Potion. And Simran has really spent her entire career diving into all of the major disciplines that impact a person's health. She has also helped serve thousands of families across Northern California, working to address the health and resource gaps. Simran is also trained in Ayurvedic medicine and pranayama, as well as other holistic modalities, and Simran really has a story that is going to move you like no other. So without further ado, welcome Simran to Simply Ayurveda. Thank you so much for that very thorough intro. Wow, you got a lot of the things that I've accomplished in there. Amazing. And thank you so much for having me as a guest. This is very exciting for me. And thank you so much for coming here and sharing your story with us because you have an incredible story from all of your amazing work in health policy and public health to then going to med school to become a doctor. But then right as you're about to finish med school, your life gets completely flipped around and you actually become the patient with a very life threatening diagnosis. So how about you take us back to the beginning and walk us through this extremely significant and truly life-changing moment. All right, if we're going to go way back to the beginning, we're going to start in my childhood. So I was, you know, I was born in San Francisco, but my parents wanted us to experience our culture. I'm Indian. And so we moved to Bombay, India when I was 5, and that I think was probably one of the most pivotal experiences and moments of my life. It's it's something I can viscerally remember to this day because landing in India, you know, it's like all your senses come alive, right? The sense of smell and sight and space, right? There's so many people. And I think it was overwhelming for me as a young child, especially to experience and see all of the poverty that exists around us. There's so much human suffering. And every single day, driving to school with the chauffeur driven car, I would see this, right? Children my age, malnourished on the streets. It had a huge impact on me. And I would look around and constantly be thinking, what did I do that I'm sitting in this car and those kids are not, and they're begging for survival? And why is nobody paying attention? Why is everyone just driving injustice by? That's what it felt like constantly. You know, my parents really saw that in me from a young age. I was always someone who wanted to take care of other people. I wanted to lead the charge on making sure everyone was okay. And my mom 
recognized this and introduced me to the concept of seva. So if you're not familiar with seva, it's a Sanskrit word, and it translates to selfless service to your community, to those around you. And I took this so deeply, I embodied it. Every weekend, we would be cooking for the poor and the homeless. Every summer, we would spend in the ashrams. I learned so much about how to serve my community, and it just became a part of me. It became a part of my identity. And as I grew older, of course, everyone thought I was going to be a doctor because, right, in India, there is a few different career paths that you go to to make sure that you have job security, right? And so that is the path that I thought I would take. We moved back to the U.S. I went to college, and that was the first time I learned that there were other disciplines around healthcare that had nothing to do with being a doctor. And I was so fascinated with this idea of public health. From there, you know, I realized that working in a hospital setting was super important. So, you know, I got a job at UCSF. I became a clinical researcher. I started, you know, being involved not only in research, but on the clinical side, running a clinic in a center. And I had, you know, it's like 10, 15 years of uh, different experiences when my parents were like, are you ever going to be a doctor? And I said, of course, one day. And they're like, now is the time. And I was like, you know what? I'm getting older and going to accumulate so much more debt. Maybe I should just go now. So I went and I, at that point, was so fascinated by all the things that I was learning in the human body. Surgery was very appealing to me. I wanted to do something with my hands. I started realizing that it's not just my brain that was constantly on and working. I wanted to help heal people through my hands. That's really when I was in my medical journey that everything changed for me. I was, you know, wanting to be a head and neck surgeon. And so we were doing a head and neck exam practice in class and I felt something in my neck. And, you know, I wouldn't have noticed had I not been practicing on my peers that there was an abnormality. And long story short, I had cancer and it had spread. <laughs> it was not only in my neck, it was all my lymph nodes that were visible. It had spread to my lungs. It was serious. And I became not only a patient, I became a cancer patient and I was fighting for my life at 28 years old. And it was shattering in so many ways because for me, the only thing I ever wanted since I was a kid was to make a huge impact to help people heal and feeling like I was so far from that. I was so far from helping human suffering, no matter all the jobs that I had and all the work that I did, it was soul crushing. But, you know, looking back now, I do believe that the hardships and the challenges, those things that are soul crushing, it's the stuff that shows you what you're made of. Those are the pivotal moments in life. Cancer for me was one of the biggest blessings, if not the biggest blessing in my life. Because through cancer, I learned that I am worthy of love, especially from myself. And that is the secret to healing. You know, what I'd internalized all those years before at the age of five was that seva was about selfless service without care or love for myself. What it actually means though, is that is seva is selfless service without need for reward or recognition. Those are two very different things, right? I lost my self-respect in the process of wanting to heal the world, if you will. But as Rumi talks about it so beautifully, you know, the real change is not about saying, I'm going to change the world, 
but it's about saying, I'm going to change myself. And that's really the monumental moment that started from that diagnosis. Wow. And at 28 years old, to then say that your cancer diagnosis was your greatest blessing. I mean, this isn't even my first time hearing your story, and I just have the chills. And you bring up such an important point that selfless service is not about neglecting yourself. Because in order to put other people first, you have to put yourself first. And to understand that caring for yourself and your needs is not a selfish act is is huge. As someone that was so involved in the healthcare field, was there anything specific that you felt that you were overlooking when it came to your own health? Yeah, healthcare is broad and wide, right? It's not about the medicines that you take or about a diagnosis. It's lived in everyday moments of your life. That's not something I appreciated until I got sick. And I learned what it would take for me to heal. So I would say those are even two different things. It's like from the moment of diagnosis to now, there have been so many major pivotal moments where I learned it's not about the treatment. It's about daily treatment. And daily treatment is something that is in my hands, not anyone else's. Yes, yes, exactly. Because our health is about the choices that we choose to make every single day and how we go about treating ourselves, how we talk to ourselves. Who are we when no one is looking? How long after your diagnosis did it really take you to have this aha moment and for you to really wake up as to how you were going about your health? It took me a while to learn the lesson. So you would imagine something as serious as cancer. I would learn to love myself right away and just, you know, be off to the races, especially sitting where I am now. It was not. Um, I'll be completely vulnerable and honest. My mission has never stopped, even through a very serious diagnosis. I, it's, it's honestly funny saying it now, but I thought when I got cancer that, oh, this is for a reason. I had this idea a month before my diagnosis. So I started feeling, first of all, like something was wrong and I don't have much time. It was just this nagging feeling I couldn't shut up. It was, Simran, make an impact now. You don't have time. Now, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry. Faster, faster. And I couldn't shut it up. I sat one day, you know, it was my my winter break from my medical training, and I'm alone in my husband's apartment. We weren't married at the time. We were just dating. And I started thinking really analytically to what are the issues that are really happening? What are the systemic issues? I've been in so many disciplines of healthcare from education and public policy and, and, you know, research and medicine. I started seeing like the problem is that patients don't have empowerment over their own health because their information lives in so many different places and it's not within them. The number of times I would talk to people and they wouldn't even be in tune with what's going on with themselves, right? They're given a diagnosis, but they don't know much about how to manage it. They don't know what they're taking. They don't really, they're not really paying attention to the signs and the symptoms. And it's almost like they have outsourced the most important responsibility they have in their lives to somebody else. And I thought that is a catastrophe. 
How has this happened? And this is a big issue, by the way. This is a big problem that Apple is now tackling, and I'm very happy about it. But I started thinking people need to own their own health information and be able to share it not only with themselves, but their caregivers, you know, for kids with, you know, illnesses, with their parents, all, you know, all of those things need to kind of happen. And so I said, maybe this can be solved through technology. And as I'm sitting with this diagnosis, and I had this idea a month before, my first thought was, of course, oh, shit, like, I hope I'm going to survive. And my second thought was, you know, I really believe in the universe and um, signs and that the best will work out and call me crazy. But I was like, maybe I got cancer to leave medical school so that I could build this company. No way. That was literally my second thought oh my God. after my diagnosis. And it was a little bit of excitement. It was wild. Wow. And so you can imagine as I'm healing, I took it seriously, but I think there was a part of me that didn't take it fully seriously that this is serious. You know, like it's not going to just, it's not just a fluke that happened to you. And that only started setting in about a year later. Wow. So you get this life-threatening diagnosis. You leave medical school in hopes to pursue this tech company all while undergoing cancer treatments. And I watched my dad go through cancer. Those treatments take you on a hell of a ride, like so taxing on your mind and body, absolutely destroying. What kind of treatments were you undergoing in the beginning? So, you know, I actually did get into Ayurveda a little bit um, when I had my diagnosis in 2018. We hired an Ayurvedic nutritionist and consultant and doctor to kind of work through my labs and things like that. I was doing traditional treatment. So I had gotten massive surgery. I had gone through rounds of nuclear radiation and things weren't improving. And so I think I still thought in my head that like the universe has my back and I'll be fine. And so I didn't have full buy-in into all of the fear that my parents, you know, sibling had for my health. And it was really at that end of that year when my cancer marker just kept creeping up. And then early the next year, it had spiked. And I'd done another round of treatments and, and nuclear radiation, which is pretty toxic for your body, right? The side effects of these treatments are more cancer and different kinds of cancer. So it's no joke, the amount of radiation that I was taking and became very close to, similar if you get more treatments, the chances of you getting other kinds of cancer are very high. And if you get another surgery at this young age in this delicate area of your neck, where we've already done a massive 10, 11 hour surgery, and you have all this scar tissue, and you might not be able to speak or raise your arms above your head or have much more serious side effects, including possibly dying, right, for another surgery. So we were trying to delay these, but it wasn't working. And that's when I got shit scared. And I said, oh my God, what if I'm wrong? What if this is the end? What if I have been kidding myself into thinking that everything is going to be okay? And this is the story that I'm going to be telling one day about how I healed and I built this company. And I was like, this is all bullshit, actually. Like you're, you're joking yourself. You're lying to yourself this is serious and maybe you won't survive this. It scared it scared the, the living daylights out of me. And I think that moment was really important because 
I only have took care of my issues, right? I became vegan. I was check. I was looking at the list the same way I'd lived my life up until that point that I need to get here. I need to be a doctor. I need to go to this med school. I need to be the chief of my department. I need to publish these many papers, accomplish, 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 check the boxes, but not embody it. And all of a sudden, I had no choice but to stop lying to myself that just because I was vegan or just because I was quote unquote living a healthier life didn't mean I had fixed my emotions. Mm -hmm. I had fixed my self-worth. I had truly learned how to love myself. I had done a version of love for myself, but was it lip service or did it come from my inner knowing? Was it lip service or did it come from my inner knowing? That is so powerful, so important. And I really want everyone to hear that because I think that's relatable on so many levels. Going through this life, checking the boxes, climbing the ladder, doing what we feel we're supposed to do, and not embodying this life. We have one life. And without embodiment... There's nothing. There's nothing. And I even relate to this on a personal level. I just recently had a consultation with my Ayurvedic doctor because my digestive system was was pretty off. There were some things that weren't working. And I I literally said these words, you know, I'm doing everything right. I'm following the principles of Ayurveda. I'm checking the boxes. And he stopped me right there. And he looked at me and he said, exactly you're doing everything right. You're checking all of the boxes, but you are not embodying the Ayurvedic principles. And to hear you say the same exact thing, you know, it's such a perspective shift. We need that reality check because we cannot go through life just checking the boxes. Totally. And so for you having this major realization, what was your healing process like from that point on? I had the original quarantine. When you get nuclear radiation, you are nuclear, you're toxic. You cannot be around other people. I couldn't be around any family members, my dog. I couldn't even after the treatments were over, it was you know weeks and months before we could be intimate and all these different things. So I spent a lot of time with myself and I didn't really like myself at the start of it. That's a difficult place to be. I was someone who wanted to distract myself constantly, wanted to think about things to do or be around people to not feel what it felt inside because what it felt inside was dark. It was hurting. It was filled with trauma and pain and unworthiness, which is where a lot of my ambition was born. And learning that the only way I could truly get to my mission, which I was born to do. And no one, nothing will stop me except for me. And I was actually the one getting in my own way because I had an ego and we all do. And I think like, you know, you say the word ego and people like are so fearful about it, but we all have egos and we have to learn how to quiet the ego because the ego talks a lot and it tells you things that aren't true. The ego has judgment. The ego is analytical, right? It's always trying to figure out a shortcut. The ego is not truth. Your soul is truth, right? Your being is truth. It'll never lie to you. 
right? And so once I learned to quiet that down and to embody, that it was the true awakening of love within myself. The universe is the wildest thing. Like I don't need to know the answer to anything. I just need to trust and I just need to quiet the ego and stay true. That's really when I had buy-in to Ayurveda because I was desperate. There were no other treatment options. The next was like different rounds of chemo, which are not necessarily recommended for my kind of cancer. The first two that we were exhausting, if those were the best options and they weren't working and the cancer was getting worse, now I have to trust. And I didn't quite, you know, even though I grew up with Ayurvedic medicine, I think living in the US, being conditioned in the medical system, you, you use the words like woo-woo. You discount a lot of this stuff because it's not taught in the medical textbooks. But you know what's barely taught in the medical textbooks? Nutrition. I can tell you how long the curriculum for nutrition was. It's not very long. All of the things, 80% of your health is in your hands, and we don't focus on that 80%. We focus on the 20%. A lot of medical education is actually pharmacology, how different drugs will interact with each other and what they'll do in your body, right? But we don't learn as much about the things that are within our control to heal ourselves. And that is what I learned in the healing process. That is what I learned when I became open to Ayurveda. Ayurveda is philosophy married to science, married to spirituality. So to be able to dive into Ayurveda was nothing short of destiny. I love that. And, you know, I want to go back to how you brought up how 80% of our health is in our hands. I love reminding people of that because it's true. Our Western society doesn't focus on that. Our society focuses on the 20% that is due to genetics and accidents. And yes, that 20% is out of our control. And we totally brush over what we do have control over, which is 80%. And that is such an enormous and empowering amount. And as someone who has studied both sides of the coin, going through med school and learning about Western practices to then studying Ayurveda, how do you think that we can begin to merge the two worlds? How can we bring these two practices together so that we can bring people the best possible options for treatment? When it comes to Eastern alternative, if you will, I hate calling it alternative medicine because it is the original medicine. Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, these were born thousands of years ago, millennia, right? Ayurvedic medicine is one of the oldest medicines in history. It's 5,000 years old. That is still practiced today by over 80% of India. So it is the original medicine. Even with what are, what's called modern medicine, it has also evolved, right? Hippocrates didn't say a lot that was so different from Ayurvedic practices and teachings, whether it is about let food be thy medicine. Ayurveda says that when your diet is right, there's no need for medication. Unfortunately, we're not in that place today in the world, given where soil is, given where nutritional value of even organic foods is because of what we've done. Um, and supplementation has become requirement, right? And then where modern medicine is with just getting so much beyond the idea of simplicity, that your body is a living, breathing system and instead parsing it in 
to the various systems as if it's a machine without looking at the bigger picture. I think that there's a lot to be worked on in both spheres, but honoring the old is something our society does not do well, right? You, you even look at that with like elderly populations, but with ancient wisdom, you kind of discount it because it's old. That is so true. Why is that? I, th- you know, I think it's because a lot of us still need to learn to meld. That's why. I think because we've learned that things are black and white and not gray. And I'm here to market the gray. <laughs> really, that's, that's, what, what, that's what my mission and, and is about empowering people. It's like, first of all, it's like the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of your health is in your hands. That is way more in your hands than outside of you. At the same time, I believe that there is this world in the middle. And I do believe that part of my mission is to bring trust and credibility in the space, purely because Western medicine is discounting it. They're not acknowledging that wisdom enough. They're not acknowledging, you know, a lot of what is said in Western medicine is not enough research has been done. Well, well, why not? Well, why has not enough research been done? Because there's not enough funding because you can't patent nature. Like, let's talk about all the reasons that why it's not been done. And just because not enough has been done and what has been done shows the positive effects doesn't mean it can't be true, right? So that's the other thing is like looking beyond. I do think one of the problems Western medicine has is the ego. There's a very big ego in Western medicine, in pharmaceutical medicine. yeah, And we need to squash that ego a bit because ego is driving division. Ego is driving the need to be right without the need to be open and curious, right? So those things are super needed. At the same time, I believe that though Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine does heal, can heal, sometimes, and Ayurvedic medicine acknowledges this, the need for medication is real, Yeah, right? Things are really off balance. Along with the need, you know, Pharmaceutical drugs can be very helpful to people to jumpstart. When disease has gone to a certain point, you need support and help. But what has happened is this has been extrapolated out to chronic illnesses, lifestyle diseases that would not exist had we paid more attention, given more credit and education on how impactful that 80%, that lifestyle, the diet, the meditation, the exercise, the emotional well-being, your relationships, your connection, time alone, time in nature, food as medicine. Had we spent more time on that, we wouldn't be in this problem that we are today where 60% of this country has one or more chronic diseases. That is more people sick than healthy. That is a problem. And that data shows we are not aligned to human health and well-being. I literally just got the chills. Had we paid attention, 60% of America is sick. That's appalling. And it literally doesn't need to be like that. And guess how many children? One in four children. Oh, my God. Like how they haven't even had a chance. Lifestyle, lifestyle Why? diseases. And, and, and a big part of it goes down to our food system. It's our systems. Yeah. Our I was going to ask you with all of your, your research and your education in 
this health sphere, why are we lacking this education even today? I mean, I know it's gradually gotten better since we've been in school, but I feel like it's happening at such a slow rate. Why is this the case? I mean, money talks, right? <laughs> we have a system. We have a system built on pharmaceutical drugs, on chronic disease and illness. We have food systems that value profit over human health, right? I think where we lie today is in this place of competition, in this place of ego over human human health, this place of taking versus giving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, humans think that everything is for their consumption, even nature. So I think that this whole concept of competition, which is where we are today with the businesses, right? The big food industries and entrenchment in the system and not able to shape shift what's going on in human health is because we have bred our Western society to believe in competition over community, right? Me, myself, I, ego, as long as I'm good, that's all that really matters. And our world is suffering. When I talk about community, I'm not just talking about people. It's the community that we live in. It's our environment. Let's look at your gut. Western medicine is antibiotics. Bacteria, bad, kill them. Whereas Ayurveda, Eastern medicine, is about your body is a living, breathing system. It's a community. And guess what? In this community, more of non-you cells exist, aka bacteria and microbes. More of them live inside you. You're their home. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's not your home. Yeah. It's their home. And it's about making sure this community is all good. Mm-hmm. Right. We're literally walking ecosystems. We're walking. Ecosystems. And I know that might be triggering to some people, but we are literally more bacteria than we are human. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're, we're tied so closely tied to nature. And I think you can see that in research around what it does for you to access nature. Yeah. We are nature. We are nature. We are ecosystems living in another ecosystem, right? To be in the presence of nature. Like we're so explicitly tied to nature and we don't even realize that. It's so true. And while we're on this topic of nature, I would love to hear from you about how your nature changed after this diagnosis and how you really, whether it be physical, mental, or spiritual, how did you implement this change to start living a more positive life? It's been an overhaul, but it's happened slowly and gradually. I started with my food and my diet. It was something I could very much control, right? I think for me, the healing of the mind and emotions happened gra very gradually um, and then really went exponential, but you needed that kind of that work. But I think the biggest thing that you can definitely focus on today is consuming more prana-rich foods. That means real, whole, organic foods, including a lot of spices and herbs and botanicals. Because like I said, you know, Ayurveda, 
believes that if your diet is right, there's no need for medication, supplementation. We are not in a place, unfortunately, for the foreseeable future to be getting enough nutrition from our food, even when we eat organic whole plants. We need to do that first of all. You got to hydrate, you got to drink your water. But the biggest thing that I started with is plants, is getting more plants in my diet. Because when you fix your diet, you'll start to feel better. I couldn't feel myself for a really long time because I was eating dead food, right? Processed foods. I wasn't eating enough plants. Again, we're a system. Our microbes inside of us and our gut, they need good food to feed on, to feed us. (laughs) So if you're operating in a dead system, I'm sorry. Even if, you know, I would say the second, the second biggest thing I did other than my potion and my food is meditation and breathing. Yes. Literally everything that you just listed off, your food, your breath, your water and your perceptions, all of this is, is Ahara and Ayurveda. And we actually covered this in a separate episode, but these are the four inputs that really make up 80% of our health. How about you tell us about potion? Because I feel like this is really when potion was born realizing that you couldn't get enough nutrients just from your food alone and that we need this extra supplementation. So how did you cross Ayurveda with your business mind to create the business that you have today? Potion is an Ayurvedic medicine and wellness brand. This company was born out of my healing journey. It was never intended to be a company. You know, I had mentioned previously that I was starting a tech business And that's really what I was focused on when I was going through my healing and rediscovering my roots, rediscovering Ayurveda. I started healing because I started loving myself and I learned that love through Ayurveda. So I hired a team of, you know, Ayurvedic doctors, nutritionists, coaches, and I started learning about it more in order to heal myself. As I started seeing results, that's when I actually did my own training I developed Potion after, you know, understanding cancer, it's all a disease of inflammation of your immune system not functioning properly. And I wanted to figure out, well, if I am going to get healthy, my immune system needs to be really strong. I need to take care of it. I need to pay attention to it. And so I started researching, what are the research-backed Ayurvedic herbs? What are the research-backed Ayurvedic formulas. What has then been done by my ancestors for 5,000 years? Where do I then get these herbs from? How do I make sure they start with whole plants and they're organic? And I started integrating all of my science background to what I was learning from my Ayurvedic doctors and coaches and my own training in Ayurveda. So amazing. And I've personally tried Potion and I am obsessed with it. It makes drinking any type of beverage a nice little ritual that you know you are nourishing yourself with, with all of these amazing herbs. Tell us a little bit about these herbs, and do you have any favorites? Potion is packed with 12 Ayurvedic herbs, um, and they're all made from whole organic plants. There are so many that are my favorite. I would say the top of the list, I can't pick a favorite. Maybe Amla key? Uh, Amla. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say Amla is one of my favorites. 
because it's just such an amazing little berry. You know, one little amla berry has as much vitamin C as like 20 oranges. Yeah. That is wild to me. The richest source. It's the richest source of vitamin C. It's a dream for your immune system. It's so good for so many things, heart health, skin health, hair health. I mean, the list goes on. So I would say amla is definitely up there. Of course, it has you know a rich amount of turmeric and ginger um, because those are incredibly healing herbs as well. Tulsi is another one of my favorites. I don't know um, if you take a lot of Tulsi, but it's called holy basil for a reason. It's one of the most revered herbs in Ayurveda. Yes, I don't take it, but Tulsi is such an amazing herb. But, you know, Simran, you should be so incredibly proud of yourself because you melded your worlds. You came full circle with Seva. You found a way to serve yourself. You found a way to serve your community. And now you're living cancer-free. I mean, it's so beautiful. It's so inspiring. And and thank you for coming on here and for sharing your story and for being so open and honest because I know so many people listening right now are also going to feel inspired to embark on their healing journey, initiate that change that is just waiting for them and and really encourage people to to make a difference. So the world needs more people like you and and thank you. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. What an honor to be your first guest. This was such a fun experience and such a fun conversation. It took so many different turns too. It is always such a good conversation with you. I feel like we could actually talk for hours. <laughs> um, so I'll definitely have to have you back on the podcast to talk all things Ayurveda, spirituality, mantra, all the things that we didn't get to get to today. And just really thank you again for sharing your story and for this beautiful conversation. Thanks so much, my love. Speak soon. If you are looking to strengthen your immune system or incorporate Ayurvedic herbs into your diet, then I highly recommend giving Potion a try. It comes in an easy-to-use tincture bottle, and you can put a dropper in your water or in your tea, or you can put it directly under your tongue. Either way, it becomes a really nourishing and grounding ritual, and you get all of these amazing herbs to support your body and your mind. So if you're looking to elevate your self-care routine, definitely give Potion a try. You can use code SIMPLY10 for 10% off at TakeYourPotion.com. Or you can follow them on social media at Take Your Potion. I will link all of these for you in the show description. As always, thank you all so much for being here. And until next time, I will talk to you next Tuesday. Tuesday.